This is Eastman's Elevated Podcast. I have on great guests that are really knowledgeable, consistently successful. We're able to dive deep down the rabbit holes of these different subject matters of shooting, of physical fitness, of mental toughness and drive. All the different skills that make up a complete hunter that you can become. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have on Cody Detman. So Cody's a young go-getter that has harvested a couple absolute giants the last couple years. Giant bulls, that is. And uh, man, he just loves to elk hunt, and he's committed himself to it. And so I wanted to get him on the podcast, be able to share his story, you know, some of the tactics he used to kill these bulls, and then just his commitment level to bow hunting elk. Uh, I think it's a, a real important story to get out there, and he was kind enough to come on and share it uh, so we can learn from his success and hopefully uh, be able to mimic it. Uh, man, it's just, um, these bulls are absolutely out of this world, so impressed by what he's been able to accomplish, and you'll hear throughout his story the reason why. So uh, we'll get right into the podcast. Just want to thank a couple sponsors. I want to thank Everly Stock Packs. Everly Stock has been supporting me for the last handful of years, and I'm really impressed by their packs. They build a, a durable pack. It's a good price point, packs the weight well, and they have different packs for all your different needs. And so, you know, I've kind of come up with some of my favorites that I like to use. So uh, I really like their kite pack for day hunting. Uh, it cinches tight to my back. I'm able to hunt with it on. I use this pack a ton anytime I'm day hunting and can even stretch it for an overnight trip to be super light. Uh, the next pack, I like their their brand new Kite 4800. I've been using this for expedition trips this year and really like it. Really like the way it cinches down and hunts and then it comes in at a great starting weight. Uh, so you can check out that pack. I also like their little big top. I'll use that for smaller, like, three-day trips. Uh, it cinches tight to my back, hunts really well, packs the weight really good, uh, so I enjoy that pack as well. And then I'll also use their Destroyer pack for expedition-style trips. Uh, also, the guys around the office really like the mainframe. Uh, they really like the Vapor series, how you can change from a 2,500 to 5,000 to 7,500 cubic inch bag on there. It's a real minimalist setup, and I've used this over the years as well and really like it. And that mainframe really packs weight well, so when you're packing out an animal, uh, it's great for that. And so I'll use that pack for, for packing out or for these expedition-style trips. But Everly Stock is just making great packs, great price point, really durable. Uh, check them out over at Everly Stock. I also want to thank Cryptech. Cryptech has come up with uh, some the best gear system that I've ever used. And uh, they make technical mountaineering gear, uh, but I really like their camo patterns as well. They have this obscure transitional, and I swear every photo I look at, uh, I blend in the best out of all camo patterns in every different environment. It really incorporates a lot of tans. Uh, it has some greens in it as well, but it just blends in so good across the West. And I think it gives me a real advantage bow hunting and getting close to these animals and being undetected. Again, that camo pattern is obscure, transitional. They have some other camo patterns that are great as well, but that's the one that I really prefer and really like. Uh, so with their system, you know, I'm set up for, for early season, 
they have hot weather gear that really breathes well, is super lightweight all the way to mid-season, and now we're into late season, into November, and I'm going to count on this gear to keep me warm and keep me safe out there. Uh, everywhere from uh, insulating layers, puffy pants, puffy jacket, uh, to great shell gear. I really like their soft shell jacket as well. And um, some of the best pants in the business. Like I I just have a different pant for every different hunt that I'm going to go on. Their gaiters are next level. I really like their gaiters to keep my lower end uh, dry. You know, I've, they, they also have like a pair of rain pants. And I've just figured that I just don't like hunting in rain pants. They're so restrictive. I'd much rather use like a good set of pants and then a set of gaiters. But they do have a good set of rain pants that... Are like great if I'm ever riding out super wet conditions or have a super wet hunt that I need to go on. I'll uh, definitely have those in my pack. So make sure to go check them out over at Cryptech. I also want to thank Outdoor Edge Knives. Outdoor Edge Knives are a replaceable blade knife that I can do an entire deer on one blade. I'll usually change out my blade once on elk, but I can do everything. I can skin, pull the quarters off, bone the quarters, take the head off, like everything I need to do with an outdoor edge knife. And and their replaceable blade knives are just built a little bit burlier. So they're great for like getting the hip joint in the, the back quarter off. They're great for getting the head off. Uh, where you're not going to snap one of those blades or something of that nature, and they keep a really good edge to them. Uh, so these replaceable blade knives have just changed the game for me, where I don't have to carry multiple knives, I don't have to carry a sharpener. They really do uh, well for me. I'm super impressed by these things. So if you're in the market for a new knife, make sure to go check out Outdoor Edge Knives. I also want to thank Black Ovis. Black Ovis is an internet retail shop that has absolutely everything you need for your next hunt. They carry all the top name brands as well as their own name brand. They have a super knowledgeable staff. You can call up, get your questions answered, and it's just a great way to save some money. Uh, with our promo code, you can save 10% on your order by putting in the promo code ELEVATED10. And also check out Camo Fire. Camo Fire is a, a great app that you can get where you can save a pile of money. They have 80 new hunting deals that come up every 24 hours, highly discounted gear. Uh, you save a pile of money on some great stuff there, so check them out at Camo Fire. And over at Eastman's, uh, we're coming into tag season. Make sure to check out uh, our Tag Hub 2.0 uh, we've revamped Tag Hub, so it's a bunch of great information, and it's real organized matter manner. And it it like also we've incorporated a mapping system into it, so uh, we've really put a lot of work into this program. And and really, this program helps me put in for all these out of state applications. And really helps me find opportunities out west. I can look up so many statistics on this thing from harvest data to um, uh, cow to bull ratio, buck to doe ratio. Like there's so much good information in there. I can find out how many, you know, what's the success percentage of rifle hunters? What's the success percentage of bow hunters? How many bucks were taken out of a unit? There's, there's just so much to sort through here. So you can check that out at Tag Hub. Put in the promo code Brian. will save you a little bit of money on that thing. You can also check out our Mule Deer course. Uh, put in Brian MDC. That'll get you a free MagView adapter and then also save you uh, 10% on the course. Check that out. Check out our new Beyond the Grids. I saw 
uh, Ike's new episode dropped. He's got a uh, elk episode on there, bow hunting, and then finishes with a rifle on that thing. So a bunch of good episodes on there. There's a couple of mine on there from last season. If you haven't caught those, check those out. And then Dan Picard with his two biggest bulls to date. Those are the first two episodes. So you just search Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube, and then that Beyond the Grid series will pull up. And man, I think I've covered it all. Let's get into this podcast with Cody Detman. It's a great one, a great conversation back and forth. And thanks again to Cody for coming on. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Ah, oh, dude, crazy to get you on, man. Um, man, you've been um, uh, you've been hard at it. That bull this year, man, that thing's an absolute giant, dude. How sick was that thing coming in? It was uh, it was crazy because. The first couple of days was uh, really hard um, for me. It was so hot um, in New Mexico, and I was trying to hunt around water, and uh, I ended up finding a spot from camp that was 13 miles away um, from where I was camping. I wanted to try and pick the most remote location that I could, um, where I could. It was so different because in Colorado, I'm so used to sleeping on the ground or packing in for a couple of days and taking the Silverado and sleeping in the back of the truck and just kind of hunting out of the truck and trying to find elk um, that way. And I ended up convincing my buddy to go down and uh, scout during the summer. And it was a 13 hour drive from here. So it's a lot of driving, but uh, ended up going to this spot where I actually ended up shooting this bowl. Um, found a nice water water tank and um, around that whole area was just great with sign. And um, I ended up running into a seven by seven bowl um, scouting that area. And he was just beautiful and velvet and everything symmetrical and never ended up finding him. But I just knew like this area back here was about as remote as this area could get. And with it being so hot, I just knew eventually these elk would come to water midday, morning, or, you know, during the night. And that's just where I ended up getting this bowl. And everything just worked out perfectly. I mean, I mean, not perfectly because I ended up, you know, the, I ended up shooting the bowl and hitting him in the liver. Um, and didn't recover him until two days later, but yeah, it was such a bummer. Yeah, I felt for you, but um, there's nothing you can do. You like make your best shot, and then you just have to put forth full effort, effort, and try to locate that thing. Like, um, you know, no matter right. if time's clicking off or not, they build those bulls so damn tough, don't they? Even with a good fatal liver shot, they can still go a long ways. It's crazy, yeah. Um, I. I was I was looking binos at him, and he only ended up running 100 yards, and it was the weirdest thing. He just he just stopped, and uh, looking him through the binos, perfect height, perfect um, left and right, but ended up being I was a little too far to the left, and he just wouldn't go down, and I was I was just in shock um, how far he ended up making it from where I shot him. Hmm. Um. 
dude, that's there's a certain shot. So you said like good left to right, good up and down. Usually that up and down's like crucial on these animals. Did it enter right. in perfect and come out low and back, or did it did did any of those uh, the enter the entrance or the exit end up low and back? So the exit was, yeah, it actually yeah. was low and back. Oh, dude, yeah. it takes him um, forever to die with that shot. I don't know why. Like, I have I have 12 ringed him. Like, exactly where I'm aiming, halfway up the body, zipped him right through that spot, and that arrow comes out low and back. And, man, I had a bull one time that was, like, alive the next day, and I didn't get much blood on him. I got an entrance and an exit, and, like, um... Dude, I like lost the blood trail coming up and out of there at about a hundred yards or so, and and um, I finally started piecing the blood together the next day. But that that night, I lost the blood trail, and then you know, like went and kind of tried to make a grid search. Next day, I ended up like just tracking drip drop to drip drop, and then came across that bull, and he was still alive and stood up, and I gave him another arrow. That's like alive like ten hours later or something, dude. Just wild. Yeah, they're so tough. It's 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 incredible. The arrow was a full pass through, um, but like you were saying, oh, with my bull, there was we found where he was standing and he was dripping blood, dripping blood, and then it's like it just disappeared, clotted up, and he went down and he went up this little ridge where I never thought he would have went. I never in the condition he was in, I never thought this bull was gonna go uphill, and he ended up going uphill and. According to my Onyx, I was 300 yards um, at the closest point, and it was just so thick in there that I wasn't going to run into this pole. And t- it was like a needle in a haystack. I wasn't going to run into him unless I came up right on him because there was no blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oh, dude. It, was just, it was tough. Oh, dude, that's a soul crusher. It's like uh, bow hunting. Like You can have the highest of highs, but, boy, it can sure take you to some low places, especially something like that where you do everything in your power, put a good arrow into him. It's just like there's um, so many variables, so many circumstances that can have, and that the bow and arrow rig is so lethal. And it's like you put the right shot on them and they die, and, and even your bolt died like he was supposed to. It was just a liver hit and went a little bit further and got in that dog hair where you couldn't find him. But, dude, same thing. I had a buddy, like, liver shoot a bull that went straight uphill for, like, 300 yards, and luckily we had snow, which makes it a lot easier to track that drip, drop, drip, drop and able to find him. But, yeah, he went uphill for 300 yards and then, you know, died right up there. We found him, like, a, a couple hours later. We didn't even have to give him a half day or a full day or anything. But, yeah, I know that shot when it exits low and back. I've had it happen with antelope, with elk, and with mule deer. Like, it just takes them a while to die. And just like you said, man, those elk are like the most difficult species on planet Earth. Like they really take a perfect shot to like kill them quickly. Like they're just tough animals. I agree. And I think that's why I just love chasing them with my bow. It's it's so it just it's so primal. Like I'm an old I'm an old soul, I guess. Like just just thinking of like how they used to do it back in the day and how we're how we're doing it now and it's a lot more modified nowadays but it's just it's awesome like there's in my opinion there's nothing there's nothing like hunting a an elk with your with your bow getting into bow range and figuring them out and it's just i don't know it's something 
I just have a deep passion for, and I just I love I love every 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 bit of it. And like you were saying, I the, the lows and highs. I've never I was in an area where I wasn't able to text my wife. I wasn't able to call her. I was I was texting her off the inReach. Um, there's a there's no service anywhere. Um, and I've never been so low on a hunt. Yeah. And then coming up on that bull um, after I let the bear. Um, the bear was on him. Um, when was that? The second day, I found him, and I I came in the next morning when it was safe. Um, but coming up, finding him, it was just like I could close that chapter. I could have a sense of relief. Like I just I knew in my gut that bull had expired, and it was just eating me alive. Like a feeling I've never felt before that he was expired. Like, and he was somewhere out there, and I just had no idea, no idea where he went. Oh, dude. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll make you question everything for sure. But you, you are right. Like, uh, you know, some of the gear has changed, but the essence of the Han is still the same. And there's nothing more thrilling and more challenging than chasing these bull elk. Like, I've got, you know, a bunch of buddies that, you know, work year-round at being proficient with their bows and hunting hard. And, and even those guys, like, uh, put a bunch of days and time in, and it's just not a given. It's like... The essence of it is still the same, and it's still so challenging. And, you know, while our gear has changed, so is the animals, too. It's like there's more hunting right. pressure. They know what humans are. Uh, you know, there's um, uh, so many different factors that play into it. So it's still, like, as challenging as it gets. But, um, yeah, I know what you mean about that low feeling. I've definitely been there before. Bow hunting will take you there. But, I mean, I think that's why the the highs are so high as well, you know, but, um, yeah, good on you, man. You've become a really good elk hunter in a short amount of time. And it's definitely like due to your, um, passion for it and love for it. So you're like based out of Colorado there. Yeah. Northern Colorado, Fort Collins, Denver area. Okay. Um, I just, you know, I grew up hunting with my dad at the age of 12 and I just turned 30 this year. So I've been doing it for 18 years, I guess. Um, I didn't have my first tag until I was 12, so I was probably out with my dad at 8 or 10, and I just dove straight in. I mean, I can't thank him enough for showing me the ropes and kind of, like, just showing me what it was all about. I mean, I can remember in high school and in middle school, teachers and um, football coaches even would get upset because I would be gone in September elk hunting with my dad and, you know, there's football games where I'd be, I wouldn't play because I was, you know, I was out hunting with my dad, but it was just, it's just something I fell in love with at such a young age. And I can't thank him enough for, um, showing me the ropes yeah. and I'm not able to hunt with them, um, as much nowadays, but, um, I learned a lot from him and I think coming home empty handed so many times i mean there'd be years where we wouldn't even see an elk and not giving up and just wanting to learn year after year and figuring out these elk and um, putting it all together like a puzzle i feel like i'm starting to get the wreath of rewards now because i've stuck with it and i've learned so much and i've learned from all the mistakes i've made basically 
Yeah, that's how you do it. It's the the school yeah. of hard knocks, right? Uh, that's so great to have your dad, like the the mentorship and time you got to spend with him, and um, to to teach you what he knows about him. And, and then, like you say, eighteen years of hunting elk, like. Uh, it, there's definitely nothing easy about it. It's like you've you've committed 18 years being so passionate about chasing these elk, trying to learn everything you can learn, and it is like this combination of learning from other people, but really like the best teacher is experience. Like you're talking and um, failing and learning from those failures because they sting and they cut deep. But that is like the crucial part of like bow hunting and bow hunting elk is like learning from that but good on you man it's like um you know uh definitely had mentors like your dad but really self-taught just committing yourself to the craft and it's 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 like more about the knowledge that you gain than the tags that you draw or than getting lucky and it's this knowledge that you gain and also like learning how to um learning how to close deals or like learning how to seize opportunities like when you get opportunities getting really good at like um uh coming good on them like making those shots or making those stocks but uh it's not something that you learn in one season or even a few seasons like man it is a lifetime commitment to really learn and get proficient at hunting elk isn't it yeah it's 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 amazing um i kill i was able to kill my first pull in 2017 so i mean it took me a long time to figure out and i ended up so how my dad showed me how to hunt um uh was we would go sit little meadows and active game trails and water holes and wallows and it's totally different from the way I hunt now which is crazy um but we would you know set up in a little triangle and throw out some cow calls and just try to get something to come to us and um i ended up finding a good spot by myself and put three or four trail cameras into this little meadow where they were coming into and I took my turkey my turkey blind and I set it up there about a month before season in 2017 and I these elk were coming in every other day every day and I was able to take the first I take the week first week of September off so I had that Labor Day the extra day for Labor Day which ended up being nine or ten days elk hunting and I said I'm gonna sit in this blind for ten days straight something's got to give something's gonna come in this is how I'm gonna kill my first elk. And opening day at like 7.21 p.m., I remember it's the dot, a four-point bull comes in the last 45 minutes of light, and I got my first elk that way. And then ever since then, I've kind of adapted and made my own, my own hunting style from that um, because sitting in a ground line killing elk, I mean, I, I think if you find the right area, is very effective, but chasing them and stalking in on them learning the wind the thermals like it's a whole different ball game um and i just love it like that backcountry experience i never got to do that until about 2020 i didn't even know really that style of hunting until 2020 and then it was just like the doors opened of all these other opportunities of how to hunt elk and not that my dad was wrong for teaching me the way he did, but it was just so secluded and like, so like it was one way when there was whole different um, opportunities of doors. And 
I've been able to get five bulls and one cow since 2017 because of what he taught me and how I've kind of just made my own hunting style, I guess, and learned from my mistakes and stuff like that. Oh, dude, I think that's it. I think, um, I think we all have to like build our own style. Like we can take pages from somebody else's book and apply it to our own hunting. We can learn from other people and further our game, but ultimately, yeah, I think you have to build your style of hunting. You have to, to build your style of aggressiveness or patience and sitting a ground blind is super intelligent. It's like, but you have to be so patient and then you're playing a chess match with what, when they're going to show up. But a lot of those things like are, are really good. Like you go into an area, you're really low impact. Like you're not stomping around or getting your scent around. And then you're like finding these locations that they frequent. And so, you know, you're dialing that in, but I'm like you where I like to go on the chase. Like I, uh, I, I do think that there's um, such a multitude of factors that play into it, just like you were talking about the wind and your movement and the topography and finding elk and covering country. And then, you know, I want to get into further like um, your hunting style, like the backpacking style that you found in 2020. And then also the style that you talk about where you killed this bull down in New Mexico, where you used roads and you used your truck like it. I think it takes being able to use uh, these 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 different uh, ways that you go about hunting these units dependent on the access and the pressure and where the elk are. And so I think that's really smart. But I'm like you, man. There's nothing like taking the chase to them, like uh, getting out there and getting in the mountains and go finding them and then making a play and making something happen. And, man, they are not easy to sneak up to and, and definitely the big bulls. So – like, is your style now, are you, um, like, these last couple big bulls that I've seen you kill, this New Mexico, that last wide Colorado one you killed, like, um, are you calling to these bulls? Or are you uh, spot and stalking them? Or, or what is your style that you've um, uh, adopted here, like, of the last few years that's really working good for you? So I would say I'm not calling too crazy. Um, I'm probably calling a lot less than I was taught or raised up on. Um, honestly, just walking, glassing, walking, glassing, throwing out a few soft cow calls, um, maybe some calf calls here and there, trying to locate anything that way. Um, in 20, in 2021, when I, my goal was to shoot my first mature bull and the style I wanted was my back, backcountry style hunting. I wanted to find, go into an area or a drainage and have two or three days worth of gear and food and supplies. And if the elk were in there, cool. If they weren't, I wasn't going to like force the elk to be there. Um, if they were in there, I was going to hunt them. If not, I was going to back out and relocate. And I ended up calling um, this 2021 bull in with four or five cows and he just thought I was a, it was another cow in his area and they, the cows ran, um, 40 yards broadside in front of me and I cow called and was able to, to locate and get this guy down. But, uh, yeah, I just think my hunting style is probably just calling a little and, you know, sleeping, I would say sleeping wherever I stop at night, I'm going to position myself 
to where I can hear elk. And I think a huge um, change for me is trying to listen during the night where these bulls are bugling, um, if they're talking or not, and trying to locate them that way. I've never, I've heard a lot of elk during the late nights, you know, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. And I took that into New Mexico. I was getting up when everybody was, you know, just probably in their campers and stuff, but I was getting up at three in the morning and I was driving roads and trying to listen. And my, my, my goal was always to get to that, that point I wanted where I got that bowl. Um, but just learning and hearing where the elk are at night was a huge game changer for me personally. Yeah. Good for you, man. It's so smart. Yeah. It's like, um, they rut the hardest at night. And, um, yeah, if you're out there, it's usually still, you can usually locate them. In fact, the bull that I killed this year, I located the night before in the dark, just listening and could hear him go off and then showed up real early the next morning, like you're talking about. And, um, actually started playing and trying to get close in the dark and getting the wind right. So when the lights came on, I was like in position to get on them and make a play on them. But yeah, man, that's so smart. So yeah, it sounds like use a combination of um uh definitely like glassing and moving country i love what you said like you go in there for two three days if they're not there you back out and go to some other place like being mobile i think is so important as well during elk season it's like i don't do good waiting for elk to show up i do good like going and finding where they're at and they like like elk hunting they're not spread out throughout the mountains there's like pockets of them and so you have to be good at like locating those pockets of elk and like i always say like the key to killing elk is being into elk and so you're putting so much emphasis on finding these bulls and being into them and then you know i really like like your seductive cow calling like uh making some cow and calf sounds but not overdoing it and uh not making these uh you know it's like a lot of the sounds, it's like where you make them from. So that big bull that you called in Colorado with his uh, five or six cows, I do notice that you call in their cows quite a bit too with cow calls. But I think a lot of this calling is like being where they want to be. So I don't think that that bull turned around on a dime and, and came with his cows back to you. I think that bull right. with his cows were probably headed in your direction to go bed, to go change drainages or to go up to that ridge. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you were making those calls from the right spots is why that bull came in. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I I was able to get in between excuse me, the cows and that bull to where they were going and throwing out cow calls into into a direction behind me and mm -hmm. then moving. So I'd throw out a few cow calls and then I would move 10 to 15 yards up uh, in front of me. Smart. So they wouldn't really, you know, really, cause I mean, when I was throwing out those cow calls, a few calf calls for that New Mexico bowl, the way those cows came in, um, I did the same thing. I threw a few cow calls and a calf call um, behind me and I moved it. 10 to 15 yards to the only tree um, blocking the cow for me. And she came in trying to win me and she knew exactly where those cow calls came from. So I think calling is great, but I love being able to stock in on them if I'm able to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It's a, uh, it sure is nice to be able to move. Yeah. They can sure pinpoint those sounds like to a, uh, to an exact spot. Can't they? Like, uh, it's amazing. 
it's it's crazy um yeah it's it's amazing how how they know exactly where you just called from mm-hmm. oh man to the exact spot yeah for sure so yeah that's pretty wild that's like um really good tactics using uh that you're using for these elk for sure and i love like your backpacking style i think that's um so effective like if you can just go super ultra lightweight and like you know you're not packing in 10 days worth of stuff because it's so hard to keep into elk for 10 days and so going with your two to three day mission and then you know you i can go really light for a two three day mission like a lot of times i don't even need my tent i'll just bring a little bivy sack my my bedroll and a sleeping pad and a little bit of food and, and and the nice thing about elk country is you can always get water but just being able to hunt with that camp on my back it seems like i can cover country find where the elk are and i think you actually save energy especially like hunting these mountains where you know you don't have to go climb 1500 or 2000 feet find the elk and then come back to your truck and start again in the next morning instead you just like sleep wherever you end up so it seems like you end up putting on less miles. You just have weight on your back the whole time. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. It's um, it's definitely allowed me to be able to have more opportunities mm-hmm. at finding elk, calling in elk, stocking in on elk, mm-hmm. and really dialing in, okay, what's, what's a really good opportunity that's going to give me a good chance versus not? Being patient and – like I mentioned earlier, understanding the thermals and the wind, um, that's something that's, that's a rabbit hole in itself. I think, I mean, there's so much to learn about that and I'm, I still have so much to learn. Um, but understanding the thermals for me was a game changer because I feel like that's how a lot I've messed up on a lot of my elk opportunities because you can get away with, a little movement here and there and you know elk are loud when the, they need to be loud and um but you're not gonna fool their nose i mean at least i can't no no i stink way too bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> right that's a, dude that's totally it cody you're on to something like i've been having this exact conversation with some of my good buddies this year just about you know and i always talk and emphasize emphasize like how important the wind is but dude i think it's everything when you're hunting elk in these mountains it's like knowing those thermals knowing your directionals knowing how it blows over a ridge or down in a bottom because a lot of times it can be going right to left as a dominant wind and then you get down in the bottom and it'll be going left to right or you know the thermals are supposed to act a certain way but you get a storm front that rolls in and it totally messes with them or just knowing that those winds are so fickle from 8 30 to 10 o'clock in the morning that you can't get a good consistent win and no no matter how hard that bull's bugling it's just like oh just hold off and just wait because there's nothing like an evening downhill thermal when you find a bull and he's out in an open park and you get to make moves and go kill that thing so i've been having that exact conversation with my buddies that have had a bunch of close calls this year and and some of my buddies have even even killed some great bulls but just talking about just this importance and the higher understanding of the winds and when you can really dial them in or know when to go in and when to hold off like man i i think it's the whole reason why i killed my bull this year and the whole reason why i got close to a bunch of different elk 
And and the same why a lot of my buddies are successful. It's like, man, and, and just like you said, we're all just still learning. And as much as I know and I've committed to to understanding the wins, it can still always throw me a curveball. And so, yeah, I, I think I'm just trying to get better at it as well because I see – that man, if you could just take that variable out of bow hunting, like you would be so successful, you know? And so, you know, I didn't get winded much this year. I played the winds really good, and I think that's why I killed a bull. But man, I think you're on to something. A higher understanding of that wind is going to equal more dead elk in the end. For sure. And being patient mm. and not like not forcing, you know, you always want to like force the wind to do something. But. I mean, the wind can change when a bunch of clouds come in, cloud coverage, you know, depending on what area you're trying to hunt, the shaded parts of the mountain. I mean, it's it's a whole it's a rabbit hole. I mean, it's something I never really dug deep into until I started backcountry hunting. Yeah, it's a good point, dude. The shade, the sun, the timber, the meadows, the uh, the time of day, the uh yeah, the storm fronts that come in, there's so many variables to it, you know, and, and just the way the wind wraps around places, you know, it's like I have this one basin uh, that I always find elk in. In fact, I saw elk in there again this year. I didn't get in there like I wanted to, but it um, sits on the, the lee wind side, so it sits off the north side when we get like a south wind just for like reference, and there's always elk in there, and I dive in that drainage, man. I, I dove in there three, four, five different times after elk, different times of the day, thought I had a decent wind, thought I had decent thermals, and get down in there and I get winded. And it just, like, it swirls around so bad in there. And so I finally, like, learned my lesson after I blew so many elk out of there. And I'm like, no, I'm not going in there anymore. I don't care how big the bugles are. I don't care how many are down in there. I'm going to sit hard. on the edges and go hunt them, you know, and – and uh, so I sat on the edges of this basin, and finally this great bull chases cows up and over and onto that ridge line that now I had a good south wind, and, and I was able to get behind him and then kill that bull. And still to this day, he's one of my best bulls. But it's like I had to figure that out with that drainage, and I had to fail at going into that drainage multiple times and just knowing how bad that wind swirls around in there. So I think there's places like that in the mountains, too, where that wind will just get in these bowls and swirl around, or there's just places where it's low percentage where you have to be patient. And you said it a couple times, it, man, it's so difficult to be patient, especially when you got a bull bugling at you and you got all these things going through your head. What if somebody else finds him? What if somebody else hears him? What if he disappears? Like you play in all these scenarios, but ultimately it's like the wind has to be right. You can't fool their nose. And so you've got to like try to take that variable out. And there was a bull this year that was screaming his head off from 8.30 till 10.30 in the morning or 9 o'clock when I stopped chasing him. But I just knew he got in a thick downfall and the winds were going every which way that I had to sit back at 200 yards is the first place where I stopped 200 yards from him and then scooted back to four or 500 yards so he wouldn't catch my wind and had to listen to that thing just scream for an hour and I couldn't do anything about it because I knew those winds were bad. But like, like I think that's what kills elk. I really do. Because once you bust them, then you got to start over. It might be two, three days before you earn another opportunity that's even close to that. Could be a week. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I think patience, patience kills the bull. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. Um, so opening day, New Mexico, um, I, 
I passed on a spike and I was, which is crazy because in Colorado, you can't shoot a spike. And, and it's not like I was going out there to shoot a spike, but since 2017, being able to fill the freezer full of this lean organic elk meat that I've never had to experience. And it provided the wife and I for about a year, you know, not being, not going to the store and buying hamburger and steak and being able to like provide for ourselves was, it was an unbelievable feeling. Um, so I've never been, I've never passed on an elk. So that was hard for me. And, um, so later that evening, I actually ended up calling in a five point and I was knocked up, had the wind perfect. And he, he came in 10 yards, um, frontal and I don't know what it was, but I just, I didn't, I didn't have it in me. Like, I, I don't know. I passed up on another bull and I remember texting my wife on the inreach, um, saying like, what did I just do? Like, and my, it's so, like you were saying, it's so hard to earn these opportunities. I've never, I've just passed up two elk on opening day and I've never passed up, I've never passed up on an elk before. So I just had instant regret of, did I just blow my one opportunity? And she, she is awesome. She hunts with me and she is, uh, she just gives me encouragement and helps me when I'm at my lows and, she was just like, you know, you're here on day one. You're already getting into elk. You drew this tag that I'm probably not going to ever draw again because it's really hard to draw in New Mexico in general. She said, when it feels right, you'll know and you'll get another opportunity. And it's just crazy because my goal for that hunt was never in a million years was to shoot a 350, 360 bull, but I wanted another mature bull with my bow whether it was a big nice five point or you know a good looking six like I wanted a good mature bull and I was rewarded for I guess passing up and earning my opportunities but yeah sorry to go off topic there but there's I'm just like it's weird passing up on animals knowing you're gonna get more opportunities if you just stick to it you know hundred percent man it's one of the things that make it make it tough to climb the rungs of the of the trophy ladder for sure it's like um it does it's tough to pass up on opportunities like that and um yeah it's just um and, and you know how tough they are to get those opportunities and how tough it is to kill an elk um so yeah same same man it's like um it's tough. You got to have your your level or your line that what you're happy with, and then go for it. And like you say, it's a elk or a difference maker. Like to have that meat in your freezer all year long. Like uh, me and my family count on it as well. And deer just can't fill the freezer like an elk can. You know? Right. And so uh, it's tough. I'm like playing with fire every elk season. I like trying to set my goals of a bull that I really want to kill that I'm really stoked with. And, and also making sure that I fill my tag and I get that elk meat so that we have meat throughout the year and I don't have to, you know, there's always other ways I could get five white-tailed doe tags or something like that. But um, right. I like I like hunting and I like killing elk and I like eating elk every year. And so, therefore, you know, I got to set my standards like on a, on a, on a bull that's obtainable for me. And, and sure, 
I love 350 plus, 360 plus bulls. Don't get me wrong, but there's like a like a level of mature six point herd bull that I'm stoked with. That if I get an opportunity to bull like that, and I'm going for it, and I almost think like your your goals have to match your your opportunities or the opportunities that are available. Like um, you know, if you set your sights on a 350 bull and you've never seen a 350 bull, like it's going to be pretty tough to find and kill one of those things. So I like to base like my I like to base my goals on opportunities. So it's like when I set out to kill a 320 bull, I look at the season before and it's like, well, how many 320 bulls did I find? How many 320 bulls did I get chances at? Is that a a feasible goal for me? You know, in the better the better my skill set gets, like the better elk hunter I become, the better I am at locating and finding elk and then at, at making it count when I do find them on the stock, you know, the higher I can set my goals. But I totally hear what you're saying, man. It's uh, uh, Those opportunities can be few and far between. And so if it's a bull you're happy with, man, you got to send an arrow through him. But good on you holding out. You learned how to pass a couple bulls, which was really tough, but I feel like your elk hunting's getting to a level now where you should pass those smaller bulls. You should pass spikes and smaller, like, five points because, um, you know, your opportunities are greater where you're getting into more elk, you're finding more elk, like, you're going to have more opportunities, and then you had a, a good tag in your pocket, too. So it's like, man, I know there's some good six points running around here, like... I'm just going to hold off. I'm not going to shoot this satellite bull. More will come. And then your wife's like such a good support system. Like, uh, sounds like she's, um, a good bow hunter as well. And when you got somebody that encourages you like, Hey man, don't sweat it. You're going to get into more. Like, this is a good thing. You were into elk the first day, you know, keep trucking to, to make you believe in the bigger picture, you know, that you'd set out to accomplish, you know, it was, it was just, um, it was all done really well. It's like, uh, man, there's, there's just, um, there's so much to bow hunting these elk and so much that runs through our minds throughout a season. And we could just see the picture of you with that giant New Mexico bull and go, man, Cody's got it all figured out, man. He's got big bull after big bull. He's killing them. But to like share, you know, those thoughts that you have when you pass a five point bull, like I think that's really important. And that's like the growth of elk hunting, you know? So, I mean, just kudos to you, man. Such a good bull. And I love that wide Colorado one you shot as well. And then, like you said, five bulls and a cow since 2017, man, you're killing it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's just, it's definitely, a, it was a crazy feeling for me passing up, like you said, on those two bulls because it provides meat year round. And we've been living, literally living off it and enjoying it and having friends over and um, since 2017. And it's just, it's a feeling I've never experienced until I was able to because I was, you know, we never, we never, with my dad, we were never, never able to get an elk. So I was never able to experience that. Dude, it, they're so tough to kill, isn't it? There's a lot of guys that are still out there chasing elk. It's like, um, you know, sometimes it looks easy when we look at social media, but we have to remember, you know, how many hundreds or thousands of guys that we're following and really proficient hunters and you get to see the highlights, you know, but yeah, I mean, the the reality is, is like, I know in my state, like to kill a bull elk with your bow and arrow, success odds run around five to six percent. That's like one out of 20 guys or that's one out of 20 years that, you know, that you kill a bull if you're playing by the odds, you know, but it is just about learning and paying our dues and building our skill set and being better 
Um, you know, and and when you come in with those skill sets, it's like, man, it's just um, elk start to die, you know. And so it's it's an ob- obvious like testament to your hard work and dedication to hunting elk, man, because they just don't come easy. Yeah, for sure. And I think preparing preparing myself um, when September's over, um, like in the gym, staying in shape, like. I think everything comes hand in hand shooting my bow more than I ever have um, building that pressure and capitalizing on it when the time comes. Um, and I don't know about you, but dealing with that pressure, I feel like I just, I love the pressure of filling the freezer every year and, thriving under the pressure and making that shot and i think a lot of bow hunting is being mentally tough too um dealing with the lows of lows and coming back up on the highs and then you might go back down again and um just dealing dealing with all of that is uh adventure in itself Dude, you can uh, see why you're killing elk. It's like you have the right approach and the right attitude. And it's wild. Like we start to see a little bit of success and guys like us, it makes us want to work even harder. And I think like what you're talking about is that drive and that passion for it, you know, and you taste a little bit of success and it's like, man, I want to feel that again. Just like that big wide Colorado bull that you killed. And you're, you're like, man, I really want to kill a mature one again. It's like you, you put in all this work and effort and commit yourself wholeheartedly to something and then accomplish your goal. It's like, well, that isn't it. Like now I want to work really hard and do that again. I want to climb, climb Everest again. So dude, all that stuff you're talking about, like that's exactly it. The stuff you had mentioned before, the 12 hours to go run scouting trips down there and starting to figure out where the tracks are and then like, um, your your strategy like oh okay it's it's hot and it's dry here they're gonna be around water gotta find water gotta find water with sign in it you see the seven point in velvet you know and it leads you to the bowl that's behind you ultimately and then yeah like that you know all that stuff the physical fitness and the shooting are so key but you know you're you're spot on when you say mental toughness is where it's at being able to ride the lows and the highs and i think you know, I think a lot of that goes hand in hand with mental toughness, like, you know, making yourself go to the gym and making yourself get those workouts and being physically fit like that builds that mental toughness. And then, you know, it's all your 18 years of experience, you know, a lot of failure in there and trying to figure out how it's done and how you're going to do it. Like, I, I think that all goes in to build the, the man you are, you know, and the mental toughness you have. And, you know, you accomplish this stuff. But then you just can't rest on your laurels. Like it's like you're over elk season now, and I bet you're right back in the gym and right back to working hard, thinking about next season and what you're gonna do to fill an elk tag. Yep, I'm sitting <laughs> in the sauna. I'm sitting in the sauna at the at the gym now, just suffering and suffering and just like trying to build a my my mental toughness. Um, and I just I hate sitting in the sauna. It's so good for you though. <laughs> Um, I want to get out at like 20, 25 minutes and I try to stay in for half an hour and I'm just constantly fighting myself. Like it's so easy to give up and just throw in the towel. But if you're able to push past that and stay that extra five minutes, run that extra mile, do that extra rep, it's, it just pays off. I feel like. 
Oh, dude, 100%. Yeah, it's a, you speak in my language. I was like hopped in a quick sauna before I got on the podcast and was sitting in there. And then, yeah, I was on a good run yesterday. It was a good long run. But I'm right in the middle of my hunting season. So it's like, you sure, I filled up my elk tag, but I'm still helping buddies and getting ready for a mule deer hunt. And so I'm, I'm just not running as much as I normally do. I'll do it whenever I can make time or go for it. But all my effort is into hunting season. So I went on a run yesterday and it was a good one like in the mountains like gained a bunch lost a bunch and I just found myself stopping you know I'm like not quite in the running shape that I would be in like at the end of summer or whatever and and I just found myself like stopping more than I usually would and I'm not like dead tired or I'm not you know it's just a big climb my legs are on fire and then like just talking myself through it going like man there's a lot of quitting you today you know you just like having this inner dialogue with yourself with like okay all right, I'm going to make this next climb and all the way back to the truck, whatever it is, the six, seven miles back or whatever, and I'm not going to stop, you know? And it, like, uh, right. you just, like that inner dialogue, like that, that mental toughness, I think, is a muscle that you have to continue to flex. It's not something you can just earn and then you have it for the rest of your life. Like, I definitely think you, you do earn it and you do have it, but I think it's like a, a sword that you have to keep sharp. Like, you have to, you have to keep challenging yourself and keep forcing yourself to do difficult things. And, you know, human nature is to take the easy way. And even us guys that are the, the hardest of souls, you know, like we still have to flex that muscle and work ourselves and push ourselves to our limits. Like, like I think that's the key to it. Oh, for sure. And a big thing for me in the past couple of years, especially when I set my goal to be um, in 2021 to harvest my first mature bowl, that's what was my main goal was really manifesting and just envisioning everything in my mind, like notching my tag, drawing my bow back, settling and releasing that perfect arrow and packing out the bowl, just really envisioning the situations and just being positive in general. I was, I was never a really positive hunter growing up because we just we wouldn't be getting into help we wouldn't be seeing elk and i think changing my mindset to being more positive and okay if there's six or seven trucks at this trailhead that's okay like don't be negative about it go into it with a good attitude believe in yourself which i have a hard time giving myself credit and you know talking about myself in general um just believing in what you can do out there. You don't, you know, everybody's got their own hunting styles. And I've heard you say multiple times, be undeniable. And gosh, that just hit me. Like, that's it right there. Like it's, I think archery hunting in general is 80 to 90 sentimental. Like you're constantly fighting yourself and you just have to push through. And sooner or later, you're going to be rewarded with an opportunity. Dude, that's a really good description of it. I love that you say you manifest it. You know, it's like you, you do, you just, it's like believing you can do it, believing it's going to happen and you, you're able to create it. And, and I also like, like you talking about the struggle and the self doubt. And I think that's something that we, we all have to face is believing in ourselves. And there's, there's always going to be hurdles. There's always going to be challenges, but I like how you think through that hunt. Like a lot of times, 
I overcome challenges in my own head that I think I'm going to see. Like you said, the trailhead. Try to picture the trailhead and a bunch of trucks and trying to keep a positive attitude through that, not get negative and go, oh, they've got them all chased around or they're they're all out of here. It's like instead you just spin it to this positive mindset of like no matter what, I'm going to continue to put forth effort until the very – like I've trained too hard. I've shot too many arrows. Like – I've spent too many years hunting elk and honed my craft to hunting these bulls. I've done too much to to go out and fail or to not believe in myself. So I'm going to give it 100% no matter what. But, yeah, man, I think that's, like, such an important piece of of bow hunting elk that that isn't talked about is just, like, that inner dialogue with yourself, the the self-doubt, and the, the days upon days of effort and, like, it's easy to sum up a, a big hunt, you know, to talk on a podcast for an hour about a hunt that you spent eight days doing or nine days doing. But the 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 fact of the matter is, is in those nine days, man, you hit a lot of highs and lows and self-doubt and not find animals to maybe find the one animal that calls in and then be clutch and be able to make a shot. Like it, it sums up pretty easy, but in the duration of a hunt, man, the longevity of it and the highs and lows that you have to go through will will test any man, I think. Oh, for sure. And talking about this New Mexico hunt, I picked out an area that seemed pretty remote. And when I went to go scout it, there wasn't anybody back there. I mean, the road didn't look like, I mean, it really should have been four-wheeler road honestly but i mean it just didn't look touched at all and i tried to pick the most remote area where there was somewhat water around um and opening the, the i got there like two or three days before the hunt and people just started piling and piling into this area and it was really easy to start to think negative about it but i just i didn't even i didn't go down that route because of the time i put in back there I knew what was back there. I believed in myself, just staying positive and believing in myself and trying to separate myself from the other hunters. I was going into that hunt, bringing my backcountry style hunting to New Mexico, which it ended up working out for me. Um, early mornings, I would hear people driving by, already done with their, their hunts, going back. I'll probably go back to camp and hanging out and have lunch or whatever. And I would pack, you know, I wasn't staying out there for two or three days. I was going back to my, my camp at night, but I was in there from three, four in the morning, listening, trying to figure out, you know, what the wind's doing, if I'm hearing anything. And then to the last, last bit of light, I'm spending as many hours as I can in the woods to give me just one opportunity. Um, and I think taking that style of hunting, what I've learned, it separated me from the people, you know, hunting the first hour or two and then going back to camp and then coming, you know, taking a nap or just hanging out at camp and and then coming back for those evening hunts. I was really focusing on hunting the early mornings hard, working the bedding areas, taking it slow, um, really wasn't pushing the envelope and the area I was in, it was it was pretty thick timber. I mean, it was nothing like Colorado. It was down timber everywhere, and I could only see 20 yards in front of me. I, I could at least see 100, 150 yards. So I was really taking it slow, picking my way through with my binos, throwing out 
some soft cow and calf calls and I'd get to an area and about midday uh, during the hottest point of the day, which it, it sucked, but I wanted to sit the water because I didn't want to be marching around um, during the middle of the day. I just had this feeling that if an elk or a bull was going to come in, get water, it was going to be during the hottest part of the day. Well, I was, whether I was right or wrong, I'm not sure, but that's just the, that's where I decided to spend my hours of the day. I didn't want to go back to camp. And then I would hunt the, that last evening, that last hour and a half, two hours, I'd get back up and I'd go work a different direction and just do the same thing and listen and just be really quiet and let the elk do the talking. And that bull ended up responding to a soft cow call. And um, that's, I mean, I was able to put an arrow into him. That's so sick. Um, you find that bull middle of day? So I was, I found him the last hour and a half. Um, I got up from where I was sitting on the water and man, I can't tell you like my gut instinct just told me to go up over this little hill, look and throw out a few cow calls and just be real simple and quiet. And I ended up doing that and gave it a while, gave it a while. And he ended up sounding off and I had the wind perfect in my face and I just, I ran over there and played the situation slow. And I got up over this little, this little ridge and didn't see anything. And I had one tree in the middle of this opening. And then it kind of went back to where the timber started getting thick. And I wanted to get to that tree and I ended up seeing a cow right and about I was about 10 15 yards away from this tree and the cow was coming right my direction right to where I last called and I knew if that cow if I could block myself in that tree and kind of get right behind that tree she couldn't see me so I got to that tree and that lead that lead cow took that bull was it 60 70 60 yards um, from my left to right, right to where I was calling. So I, you know, I threw out a few cow calls and I ran to that tree, got behind it and she led him right to me and he came in bugling and I didn't have time to sit there and like, look at his antlers. I just knew from his, he's a big body wide. And I saw him moving his head through the, through the, the, the trees trying to, um, get around the trees with his antlers. And I'm like, this is it. Like, this is my opportunity at a mature bull. And I, when I walked up on him, I didn't, I had no idea he was as big as he was, but it just ended up working out. Oh, it's a good surprise when they're bigger than you thought, when they grow on the ground. That was like such a good bull, man. It, um, yeah, it's wild. It comes down to like all these decisions we make. Like, you know, if you would have called and not moved from that position, who knows? That cow might have walked right into you and spotted you and it would have gone haywire. If you wouldn't have hiked up that hill or if you wouldn't have been in that area. Like, there's so many things that have to come together to um, make it happen. But it, it's wild when it does come together. Yeah, I think I could, you know, I tend to. Um, 
really go hard for elk morning and night and I have to like get on their schedule. And so like I hunt them hard when they're on their feet in the mornings, I hunt them hard in the evenings when they're on their feet. And then I look for them at night and I use like those early mornings like you did in the late nights to like locate, uh, you know, parties of elk or bugling bulls. And then during the day, like I do catch naps in the middle of the day and I don't, really go after these elk too hard from about 10 till four o'clock. Now I've heard some guys like Dan Bacar was saying he kills a lot of bulls middle of the day. Uh, Remy Warren was telling me the same thing uh, that he kills bulls like 12 to two, you know? So I think, um, you know, my system definitely works for me and who knows it could be area to area as well. But, um, you know, I have ran into those bulls that are bugling middle of the day, and I think your tactics are kind of working through some of that timber and soft cow calls, and and also just continually putting effort to try to do everything you can to create an opportunity. And and I tend to like not do it in the middle of the day because I feel like in the areas that I hunt or in the downfall timber, it turns into low percentage. You know, where I ended up spooking that bull and not getting a chance. Where if I just would have waited in the evening, he would have been out in a park and out in a place where I could have killed him, you know? And so that's kind of the way I view it. But in that, with that same breath, I think I could take a page out of your book and a page out of these other guys' books where I kind of work some timber where I think might be conducive and throw out a couple cow calls and see if I can get one of these herd bulls to light up. Um, like I think it, you know, it, it obviously is a good tactic. You use it, these other guys use it and kill bulls middle of the day. But, um, yeah, it's it, like, like we started the conversation, you kind of have to build your style and it's going to be tough to teach this old dog new tricks, but I definitely <laughs> think I could take a page out of your guys's book. Man, you, you're just on a roll. Your, your bull this year is just, he's beautiful. He's a stud. Yeah, yeah, I've got a good run going for sure. That spot and stock style just works for me for those herd bulls for sure. Yeah, and he's um, he is he's a killer bull. He's like doesn't have the typical shape. Like I love the ones with the big back ends, and this one was all big in the front end, like uh, giant eye guards that go over twenty inches and giant thirds, and then um, yeah, like a big five by six. So like a five side never scores very good, but I love the look of a big five side, like the same as I like the look at like a a big three side on a mule deer. And um, he had a big growl of a bugle and um, able to outsmart him and about fifteen twenty cows and a couple different satellites. So yeah, man, feels pretty good. I uh, I I love every year like chasing those elk is so thrilling and it's always the ultimate challenge at like trying to kill one of those things so yeah i got a i got a good run going and got elk meat in the freezer for another year so i'm fortunate for sure man heck yeah that's awesome um i was gonna ask you do you find yourself how do you find yourself dealing with the pressure because i mean or i mean or does do you feel pressured every year to put down these big mature bulls year after i feel like it's year after year after year which is which is awesome like how do you deal how do you deal with that pressure if if any at all Mm -hmm. yeah there's um you know i definitely feel the the pressure a bit like a lot of it's like to to get or to make a film you know when i've got a film guy going but yeah i do feel it um I, i try to just like enjoy 
the experience of hunting elk, the experience and the thrill. And I've been doing it long enough now to where I know that I'm going to get opportunities at these animals. Like I know that if I continue to put forth effort, like I may go a couple days or even a few days or a week not getting into them where it's not going to happen. But eventually, like I know elk enough and put an, put enough effort into it that I know I'm going to get these opportunities. And so like how I deal with it is I, I try not to put too much pressure. Like I've got to kill a giant bull. Like I try to just get immersed in the hunt. Like I try to just get to where I'm like, man, I, I've got this time off and I'm hunting elk. What I truly love. Like I definitely don't want to shoot a small one and end it. Like I want to shoot for a big one where I get to keep hunting elk. And I just know that I put enough time and effort in, like I'm going to get those chances and those opportunities. And I also had the benefit of having really long seasons here in Montana. So our season is actually still open right now. And there's been great hunting in October that I've missed out on this year because I did arrow a bull. Uh, and I'm always happy to, to arrow a mature bull and, and super stoked with the one I killed. Um, but yeah, I think it's just like that inner belief that you're talking about, that I just know I'm going to get chances and opportunities. And I just know I'm going to kill a big six point. Like I don't have to put a bunch of pressure on myself. I just know that it's going to happen. Like it's, I'm going to get those opportunities, you know, and, and then it's just working hard in the off season to keep that skill set, you know? So, but I, I struggle with the same things you do with hunting pressure. And I just find that I'm just able to get away from hunting pressure and I just have to keep that belief in myself that I can find elk and hunt elk really well and that it will come together. So I, I don't know if I directly answered your question, but that's kind of how I think about it. No, that, yeah, that, that makes sense. And like you said earlier, to put it in perspective, you know, four or five percent success rate, that's a elk or a bull every 20 years. And that that's crazy. If you can consistently get an elk with your bow, that's something to be proud of, in my opinion. I mean, you work your, your way up the ladder um, if you choose to do so. But, I mean, that's it's something to be proud of, I think. Oh, dude, 100%. Yeah, likewise. Like uh, what you've accomplished, you know, is something to be proud of. Yeah. And sometimes we have to take a look back and, and we do have to give ourselves credit for the successes and like celebrate the 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 hard work and the effort that we put in you know it's like it doesn't last too long and then we got to get back to work for next year but i do think it's good to like be proud of yourself and go yeah man i i did good killed a herd bull this year like i've got a good run of herd bulls that i've been putting down like um man it's uh uh i I, I am proud of myself at the elk hunter I've become, and this is like always my dream. As a kid, I used to sit back and go, man, uh, uh, you know, I I dreamt that I said someday, like, I'll kill a 320 bull every year. Like, if I, you know, I'd set these goals or just look at it as such a, a far-off, distant goal, you know, but – um, you know, if I could see myself now as a 25 year old kid or whatever age I was when I was dreaming that big, like it, it is achievable and it is doable. Like, uh, you can kill big bulls year after year. You just got to build that elk hunting skill set, And I think that's what you've done a good job of and why you're consistently successful and have killed a couple great bulls now the last couple of years. So, so now it's like celebrate our successes and get right back to work. Like you already are. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, what the effort you put in is is what you're going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think. I think there's no limit to how good we can get. Like, that's the beautiful thing. 
That's why I love bow hunting so much. It's like even as good as I've done, I think there's another level to get. I think there's more effort I can put in. There's more time I can spend hunting elk. I think I can become more proficient, a better shot. I think I can be in better shape. Like there is no limit to uh, how good an elk hunter you can be. And I think that's like one of the beautiful things that I really love about it. For sure. Every year is different. You can just get better and better every year. When I shot my 373 bull, I can't tell you how many people told me I'll never. And I mean, they, they're probably right. They could be right. They, you know, I've gotten, you'll never kill a bull like that again. You'll never come close. And to be able to get a, get a similar bull, not, not as big, but in New Mexico, it's just, it's just like what you said, it every year, um, is different and there's a new opportunity to chase and, um, it's the opportunity is endless. Yeah. That's incredible. Cody, like couple, just absolute slammer bowls, dude, and just a testament to your hard work and effort, man. It's, um, yeah, it's killer to see. And people will tell you that you'll, you're never going to kill another. We're never going to see another one like that. It's like, yeah, but uh, it might be right for somebody. That's just not right for me. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out how to do it again. You know, it's like, right. Uh, I think uh, where there's a will, there's a way for sure. And um, yeah, I've been told the same thing uh, about multiple animals. And um, it seems like you can always hunt up another one if you're willing to work at it. So, uh, man, I'm so pumped for you. Um, couple great bowls, like you say, uh, under your belt, and can't wait to see what you turn up in the future, man. They're like a uh, you're a really good, insightful elk hunter, and so I really enjoyed like the in-depth conversation and your willingness to share information. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was awesome to chat with you, and yeah, I can't thank you enough for what you provide to the hunting community, listening to your podcast. I mean, it's there's a wealth of knowledge for everybody to learn, and the it's endless. There's always something to be learned. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, hundred percent. That's like uh, where I thought you had such good insight and focus into your hunting, and um, definitely why you've killed a couple great bulls. So, man, keep after it. You've got my number. Reach out if you need anything. And um, yeah, really pumped to get to meet to you, meet you, and talk to you on the podcast. And um, like you say, wish you nothing but success in the future. I know uh, I'm gonna have you on again with another big bull next year. I appreciate it. It was, it was awesome talking to you. Hey, any any elk I'm happy with, and um, I just yeah, I can't appreciate, uh, can't thank you enough. Yep, no worries. Keep on the line here, man. I'm just gonna end the recording, and um, we'll say our goodbyes. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Fun conversation with Cody. Um, man, it's just um, it it's really enjoyable to be able to dive into people's success and the reason why they're finding success and. It's no surprise as Cody works really hard to improve all his elk skills, his shooting, uh, his map research, uh, definitely in his scouting. And so, uh, man, it all came together and he's able to kill a giant bull or a couple of them back to back years now. So, uh, so impressive. He's working really hard at it and um, couldn't be more pumped for him and excited to get him on the podcast uh, as I really like having... Um, these new guests like I I love having the reoccurring guests like some of my buddies on here and I definitely have a few of those written down that uh, 
guys that I need to hit up and get back on the podcast, but I also like mixing in these new young go-getters like Cody. So thanks to him for taking the time being on. Thanks to you guys for the support of the podcast, listening in. Uh, give us a review. It really helps out. Uh, so if you enjoy the podcast, give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, uh, or a share on social media. Like All that helps out and uh, helps me continue to bring you guys good content and good guests, which, um, yeah, just going to keep working hard here as we're wrapping up hunting season and make sure that I get good next-level guests on for you guys with good in-depth conversations. So thanks to you guys. Thanks for our sponsors, Everly Stock, Cryptech, Outdoor Edge, Black Ovis, and Camo Fire. Uh, thanks to Eastman's for all their support of the podcast. Uh, again, that mule deer course, put in the promo code BRIANMDC, um, Brian for Tag Hub 2.0, and then also uh, if you're trying to get on uh, Black Ovis, uh, you can put in the promo code ELEVATED10 and save 10% on your order there. So man, um, yeah, we wrap up, get out this podcast here, uh, going to be taking off for a little bit, so it's a muley rut hunt, I've got a week-long hunt planned. And um, so super excited about that. We're going to try to film it. Uh, so I've got a new cameraman that uh, I'm going to meet up here later today. And yeah, have a week of chasing rutting muleys. So uh, it's a, just a touch on the early side as it's just getting into November. But I really like this time frame for hunting bucks. So um, yeah, going to go uh, give it all I got and see if I can't arrow one of these things and capture it for an episode here. So um, super excited. I've already had some good muley hunts. Uh, did one backpacking solo that I'll, I'll get on and record a solo podcast here on um, some of my adventures lately and hunting late season mule deer. But um, yeah, I had a great one. Solo uh, backpacking trip where I was able to arrow a really nice four. Uh, went out with my daughter for a few days, and um, she was able to harvest a buck, so that was super fun to be able to share an adventure with her. And, um, yeah, she made a great shot and uh, put on good miles, good toughness, sleeping out in the dirt. It's just like, just uh, be able to share what I love with my daughter is pretty cool. So, um, 15-year-old, so she keeps pretty busy, so uh, really excited to, like, get a few days to spend with her. So, yeah, I had a great time doing that, and... Um, yeah, able to, uh, I was listening to the Choose Strong podcast, which is a great podcast, but it's Sally McRae, and she was able to do the Grand Slam of 200s, and then in the last 200 race in this the Moab 240, she was able to win it, and it was just really fun to listen in with my daughter, just, um, you know, the... Uh, the, just the the common tie between um, girls and to be able to listen and get motivated by somebody that's so passionate, puts so much into their work and to be able to run that, like what she went through on that race was just incredible. So really fun listening in, really fun listening with my daughter. So shout out to Sally. She does a great job on that new podcast. So yeah, it was a good listen for me and my daughter. If you have a daughter, like it's a great one to listen to, but um yeah, it was a really fun trip with her, and then, um, yeah, I'm off for a week to hunt rutting mule deer, so we'll see what I can do, see if I can come up. I've already seen just a touch of rutting action, even though it is early, so, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I don't think all the bucks will be losing their mind or anything, but they're definitely starting to run solo, starting to cruise country, and maybe one out of every five groups of does will have a buck with them, so... Yeah, really looking forward to it. Get this podcast out to you guys and then um, get my truck loaded up and packed up here and then um, get on the road. 
and uh, start doing a little bow hunting or keep doing a little bow hunting. So thanks, you guys, for listening in. I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, with that, we'll check in with you guys next week.